Hey everybody, this is James Lindsay, and you are listening to the New Discourses podcast. And once again, I'm going to present to you a ridiculous academic paper, not necessarily because I think it's going to go anywhere uh, practically, maybe it will, but it, partly because I wish we would have written this as one of our uh, so-called Grievance Studies Affair hoax papers back in 2017 and 18, if you don't know that story. Some colleagues with me, Peter Bogosian, Helen Pluckrose, with the help of uh, the filmmaker Mike Nana, wrote a whole bunch of fake academic articles that were just, you know, over the top. And when I saw this one, I thought, wow, um, this would fit right in. So we submitted those to peer-reviewed academic journals in gender studies and race studies and so on. And a bunch of them, seven of them, got accepted for publication. The whole story is a thing. It's not the point of this podcast. But this is a real paper that would have satisfied uh, our interest. In fact, as soon as I saw it, I sent it to um, Peter and Mike and said, can you believe we didn't think of this? It's so perfect. And I want to read it just because... What we understand now is that we kind of have to look at where they, the way that the the woke left or woke Marxists think, because there's no safeguard from these slippery slopes. It's only a matter of the right people or wrong people, as it were, thinking that this idea is worth taking up, and the next thing you know, it's going to get taken more seriously. And I think we have every reason to think they might take this kind of thing seriously. This is a paper about sanism, which is a <laughs> unjust preference for the sane over the insane. Uh, so it's a prejudice against insane people that's obviously not rooted in any facts of material reality. But in fact, it's a paper about sanism in early childhood education and care the subtitle is Cultivating Space for Madness and Mad Educators in Early Childhood Education and Care. So the point of this paper is literally to argue, this is a peer-reviewed paper, is literally to argue that uh, insane people should be involved in um, education. Uh, of young children, early childhood. And this is published, it's a peer-reviewed paper published uh, spring-summer 2022 by the Association of Early Childhood Educators of Ontario, which suggests that maybe, since there is an institution dedicated to early childhood educators of Ontario, which is in Canada, of course, uh, taking this seriously, that we might need to worry about it a little bit. It's by Adam W.J. Davies, uh, Kaylin C. Brewer and Bronte Shea from the Department of Family Relations and Applied Nutrition at the University of Guelph there in uh, Ontario. So the abstract says this article engages with critical questions regarding the exclusion and stigmatization of early childhood educators who experience madness and the presence or absence of madness in early learning settings. Through a MAD studies, that's capitalized, it's a proper noun, through a MAD studies analysis, we argue for more critical conversations challenging the pathologi uh, pathologization of madness in educators who openly live with mental illness or identify as MAD. Drawing from Langford's work on the, quote, good early childhood education, we argue that the mad early childhood educator, or education, it says ECE, is a way of reimagining early childhood education identity 
and the professionalized ideals that regulate early childhood education's professional practices and self-presentation at work. So this is a paper deliberately and directly arguing that there is a unjust bigotry against insane people in working in early childhood education and care settings in Canada. I'll let that sink in. So as you'll hear as we read through this ent- this this paper, this is rooted in lots of academic literature. It is heavily uh, similar to um, queer theory, and the reason for that is that the study of madness as an exclusionary concept, as an application of power to exclude, uh, arises from the father of queer theory, who th- wrote, uh, who's Michel Foucault, who wrote things like Discipline and Punish, which was about prisons, but also uh, Birth of the Clinic, which is about um, psychiatric clinics and the use of the social construction of madness, as opposed to mental illness, as a way to um, control society, exclude dissidents, and so on. He also had, um, was it called Madness and Civilization, something like that. I'd have to look it up again. But at any rate, this is rooted in a decades-old, I mean, back to the 1960s, um, precedent in idiotic, woke academic literature. But this is quite literally arguing that we should stop having a prejudice that's obviously an unjust prejudice against insane people in and insanity itself in early childhood learning settings. Now, when I sent this to Peter, Peter has a unique way of thinking about things. He said, imagine if this had been, if this, if this is taken seriously and we let insane people teach little children. And so you have an educator in front of a bunch of seven-year-olds who spends his entire day talking to pencils, uh, which I thought was a fairly funny way to characterize it. Um, I'm not going to read the author's uh, biographies here, but um, their, pres- their their pronouns are listed. Uh, Dr. Adam W. J. Davies is a they, them, which I think is awesome. And then you have two she, hers, um, one of whom is an undergraduate and uh, one of whom is a master's student. So, sanism in early childhood education and care, cultivating space for madness and mad educators in early childhood education and care. So notice what they're asking for. They want madness and insane people to be brought into the to the arenas of early childhood education and early childhood care. Uh, so we're talking, you know, elementary schools, daycares, preschools, and so on. And they want to make space not just for mad educators, so literally insane people getting to work as teachers, but also for madness itself. Uh, I wanted to read this paper not just because it's so unbelievable that, well, it's not unbelievable. We should have thought of this for the Grieving Studies Affair, but it's so just preposterous. I also wanted to read this paper, um, and because of the slippery slopes and and the lack of any uh, limiting principles whatsoever in woke Marxism, but I wanted to read it because they also kind of throw the kitchen sink at this entire um, argument. They, I think they realize how outside of the realm of good, good things it is. And they really throw the kitchen sink at the, at the idea. So you're going to hear like basically every style of arguments that, that the woke deployed dialectical inversions, accusations of bigotry, the whole nine yards, everything that they do, it's going to show up in this paper. 
Um, so they open with a question. Is there space in early childhood education and care for early childhood educators who live openly with, quote, mental illness or who identify as mad? So let's parse not the question, which is easy to understand, but the idea that mental illness is in scare quotes. See, mental illness is a medicalizing narrative. It is unfairly stigmatizing people who are labeled as mentally ill by medical professionals and all of the rest. So they put mental illness in scare quotes to kind of suggest that mental illness is, while it may or may not exist, is a narrative being driven through medical professionals in order to create uh, conditions of exclusion for people who, and that's the next part, who identify as mad with a capital M. So identifying as a mad with a capital M is a marginalized identity category. Yeah, maybe you have borderline personality disorder or narcissistic personality disorder, schizoid personality disorder. Maybe you're legitimately a psychopath. Maybe you have major depressive disorder, high anxiety disorder, social anxiety, any number of these legitimate mental illnesses. But why should any of that exclude you or stigmatize you or label you as mentally ill and therefore exclude you from being able to work with children. Can't you just identify as mad and can't that just be another marginalized identity that we're going to now analyze through woke Marxism? That's really what's going on. Uh, how do we circumvent the reality of mental illness and turn it into an opportunity to bring crazy people into the classroom? Of course, the practical upshot of this is going to be that if they were to get this put through or get this accepted uh, by the idiotic population at large, or more importantly, the uh, elites that run our society, or this is Canada, so good luck, guys, uh, what's stopping you from, from any of this, uh, then you couldn't possibly try to protect children from woke in schools by saying these people are insane with maybe even clinical diagnoses. Now, why? Because, well, that's just a exclusionary narrative, yada, yada, yada. There's no way that we could possibly know whether that person should be in a classroom or not. Maybe it's to the benefit of the students to have some psychological or psychiatric, I should say, diversity put in front of them. Why mad for, for instead of insane or crazy or whatever? Else? Because this is the way that Michel Foucault characterized it. He said that there is mental illness, but then there's a social construction of madness where people stigmatize the peop those who are different, queer, abnormal, crazy. They believe crazy things. They act in crazy ways. They stigmatize them as mad. And so there's a social construction of madness that is distinct from mental illness that's used to keep people out of uh, spaces or influence or power who uh, are upsetting to the status quo. That was Foucault's general argument. And that the idea of mental health care, that's the birth of the clinic, is really uh, kind of invented specifically to uh, create that medical apparatus that feeds into the social stigma that it's already broadly operating. People, turns out, not big fans of crazy people. And that was meant to be overcome. Why? Because Michel Foucault, for example, himself was considered to be crazy or uh, an outsider or a pervert or all kinds of other things. And obviously we need to uh, correct for that. So it says within helping professions such as social work, education, nursing, and early childhood education and care, mental illness and madness are commonly constructed through medicalized and individual models 
that emphasize medical interventions through diagnosis and pharmaceutical treatment by pathologizing individual behaviors. So it's exactly what I just said. They treat mental illness as though it's this arbitrary thing, although it's really, more importantly, a narrative that is created and constructed by the people in power so that they can keep people in power. It's treated through, it says, medicalized and individual models and it emphasizes medical interventions through diagnosis and pharmaceutical treatment. So they're going to diagnose you with some kind of a disease or disorder, mental disorder, and try to treat you, whether that's through psychiatric interventions or whether that's through pharmaceutical. But in, most importantly is that it pathologizes individual behaviors. Now, remember, we're talking about legitimately diagnostic, diagnostically crazy behaviors, but that's just a you know, power trip to the Foucauldian woke. And that's what we find ourselves in here. Now, I just want to riff for a minute about the medicalized and individual models, because this is borrowing off of, I said, this is a kitchen sink. This is borrowing off of the disability studies program, which I think is actually a fast, I should do a whole podcast on disability studies. I don't know that I want to spend a whole hour going through it for you, but it's very interesting because there are three models of disability. And it's interesting because we can actually tease apart like legitimate questions about when do when do compassionate and wealthy societies actually engage in equity? Under what conditions are equitable programs or equity initiatives actually acceptable? Are they actually beneficial? Because the answer is not usually, but there are answers. And I think it actually teases out in the disability studies arena. So the three models of disability, which I guess would include madness here, are the medical model, the individual model, and the social model. In the medical model, it's treated as a medical problem to be corrected. That's what's being brought up here. And the individual model, which is also being brought up here, it's treated as an individual problem. If you're disabled, if you're crazy, well, that's that that's your basket. That's that's your circus. Those are your monkeys. It's yours to deal with. And it's not society's responsibility. It's not even doctor's responsibility to try to do anything about it. So the medical model is it is a problem that has to be treated through some kind of medical intervention, whether psychiatric, whether physical, whether surgeries, whether drugs, whether, you know, interventions of some other kind, whether prosthetics, if it's a disability, something of this kind, that's a medical approach. That's the medical model. And then there's the individual model that it's your problem. And then there's the social model, which says society has some responsibility to help. And there is a sane social model of disability, which is why we have handicapped parking spaces, handicapped access ramps, elevators, that kind of stuff. That's why we have these sidewalk inserts where the blind people can feel them under their feet. When you push the button across the street, it talks to you, makes noises. When you ride in an elevator, it says out loud what floor you're on in case the blind happen to be in the elevator. These are very broadly and widely considered to be legitimate equity initiatives because we recognize the true um, arbitrary uh, challenge that comes with being disabled. There's no particular reason somebody being blind should have uh, a, a virtual impossible task in front of them to get into, say, a restaurant. There's no particularly good reason for that. There's, and we could go on down the list. It's actually benefits society overall to get to increase access, at least within limits. But when we start talking about mental illness, maybe not. So this is why it's a very interesting and fruitful place to discuss. But the social model of disability went fully woke and went insane and is the only model that's allowed to be 
considered. Individual models are blaming the victim, and medical models are the application of a stigmatizing narrative by an, uh, an empowered institution that needs to do better. And so those models are no longer allowed. They're problematic. Instead, we're supposed to operate within the social model of disability or mental illness. And the social model says that society is the thing that actually disables the disabled by failing to accommodate them so that their disability, no matter what it is, is made completely irrelevant. Whether that's being blind, losing a limb, being deaf, whatever else you can imagine, society should fully accommodate all disabilities so that it is irrelevant to their day-to-day existence in any capacity whatsoever. The elements of fat studies that talk about airplane seats being too small for fat people falls under this kind of same general purview. And here we have it being addressed with mental illness. That mental illness should be fully accommodated by society and not to do so is just stigmatizing, medicalizing, individualizing, and victim blaming. So when I said that there's an obvious or an interesting area here, that it's obvious that some degree of equitable initiatives not only is uh, something that would be nice to do or good to do, um, but it can actually be desirable to do. For example, the things that I've kind of listed as, as you know, accessibility for, for handicapped people. Um, we have a lot of fruitful space. Now, where do you start drawing the line, though, when we're dealing with mental illness? Well, I'm not quite sure, but I'm going to venture the guess that putting madness and insane people in early childhood education and care is on the wrong side of the line. Wherever it gets drawn, I'm pretty sure putting crazy people in little kids' classrooms and daycares is not a good idea. Nobody is going to think that that's equitable behavior. In fact, that's, dare I use the word, insane. That's properly insane. So now they explain themselves. Here we use both, quote, mental illness and, quote, madness to refer to experiences of mental distress and or mental differences. Well, that's a very broad and pointless definition. Recent Canadian research has begun to address the experiences, they say, of K-12 teachers who experience high burnout rates and exhausting, exhausting workplace expectations. So you can tell what that's angling toward. People should be able to basically not work because it stresses them out, less work, disengage, bring their whole selves to work so that they don't get burned out and they, you know, make their job easier so nobody has to work because work is oppression, blah, blah, blah. You can tell where that's going. But it says, you know, that recent research is addressing burnout and exhausting workplace expectations. However, little to no Canadian research exists discussing early childhood educators who live with mental illness or mental distress through a MAD studies framework. That's because nobody should give a flying shit what MAD study says, and in fact, MAD studies should not exist. I don't mean that like, hey, shut it down because academic freedom, blah, 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 is bull... No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. It's bullshit. It's messed up bullshit. It shouldn't exist. MAD studies should not be a thing. Nobody should have ever... If you want to do it, you can do it on your own time, but no university, no publisher, no library, no institution should ever have endorsed any of this crap. They say that we situate ourselves with, within MAD studies, a field of inquiry that rejects medicalized and scientized ideas of mental difference and distress and seeks forms of relational and social support outside psychiatry. Most research that does exist pathologizes mental distress or difference by seeing such experiences as always abnormal, undesirable, or only the result of challenging working conditions. 
These limited understandings of individuals' experiences with madness, a term that moves away from the medicalized terminology of mental illness, necessitate a consideration of the larger sociocultural and political context in which such distress occurs. See, really having mental illness isn't fair to say that's a medicalizing narrative. Society heaps these conditions that create mental distress and then make it worse, and we should really reconsider how that works out. While we, the authors, they say, use the term, quote, mental illness, often in this article, we acknowledge that ideas of, quote, illness foster notions of pathology, medicalization, and the subordination of diverse ways of knowing and being. Just pause again to remember that they're talking about being fucking crazy. Maybe dangerously crazy. We can't pathologize that. We can't medicalize it. There can be no treatment pathway because that would suggest that there's something wrong with people who are mentally ill. Anytime these people try to tell you that they're the compassionate ones, you need to stop right away and realize that they are absolutely not. If if this mad studies frameworks were actually applied in reality, which they very well may be because Canada is a lost cause or on the edge of being so, If this is actually applied in reality, people who actually need help, mental and emotional help, will not be able to get it nearly as easily, or maybe not at all, because to diagnose them and put them on a pathway to treatment would be to medicalize them and to treat them as a pathology. Now, you think that that's what it's really, of course, these people are going to be able to get treatment if they want it. The usual solution to this, which you see in fat studies and what you see in some of these other uh, dimensions of queer theory that intersect with or, or impinge on on medical issues or the medicalizing narratives is that the general approach is you see this a lot in autism studies for example no people shouldn't be diagnosed and put on courses of treatment people should be allowed to self-diagnose and self-treat and they should be given access to whatever they want in order to self-treat because they are the personal authorities of themselves they are the experts of themselves they don't need a doctor diagnosing them and they certainly don't need a doctor or a pharmacist limiting their access to pathways or, or uh, uh, for treatment. So if one of them were to come up with some absolutely crazy treatment that, say, involved, I don't know, pedophilia or something like that being allowed to engage in, nobody could technically tell them they're wrong. Or if they needed, you know, strong psychoactive drugs, they should be able to just go get them. They should be able to self-diagnose. Nobody can question the diagnosis. Then they have to be accommodated, given special treatment and access to their own pathways for treatment, which probably need to be subsidized. These are the ways that they actually deal with the fact that they don't want anything medicalized. What they want to do is be able to have complete self-determination. But I remind you that we are dealing with people who are insane in this particular framework. Such commonly, this is back to them, such commonly pathologizing interventionist approaches to experiences of mental differences and or distress. That's their definition of mental illness again, by the way. Experiences of mental differences and or distress. And so such commonly pathologizing interventionist approaches, what do they look like? Individualize structural inequalities. So they see society is the thing that's actually making people crazy, not driving them crazy, but regarding them as crazy, defining them as crazy. And that puts on the individual, in other words, victim blames, something that's actually structural. Society is failing to fully accommodate the insane. This is the underlying principle of mad studies. It is failing to fully accommodate the insane. Therefore, it's a structural 
inequality that they get treated differently, can't be employed as well, can't function at their job without making it easier or much more accommodating or whatever else. Those are structural issues that have to be dealt structurally. But if we diagnose people or treat them or, or try to avoid them or try to keep them out of, I don't know, little kids' classrooms, that's individual, that's blaming them for what's ultimately society's failure to fully integrate and accommodate them. Remember that word inclusion, include crazy people is what it means here. And if you don't, then it's you causing a structural inequality that distresses uh, the the crazy people and, and victim blames them for being nuts. They say this, how far does this go? They say including, but also beyond working conditions. And these conditions are the things that produce mental illness within individuals, they say. So it is the structural conditions that produce mental illness. See, they're not mentally ill. They don't have mental problems. It's only illness because society thinks it's an illness. It's only a problem because society treats it as a problem. And if we were more inclusive, we wouldn't do that. We're dealing, again, just in case we've lost track, with legitimate insanity is what they're talking about. So they say, wherever possible, we use the reclaimed terms, quote, mad or madness when discussing those who have experienced mental distress or difference. This is exactly the same play as queer and fat, which all use the same underlying deconstructive framework. It's deconstructive Marxism. For example, they say, despite conversations about the low respect the field of early childhood education and care receives societally, signaled in part by low wages and stressful working conditions, the grift is always there, there is little discussion of early childhood educators who live openly with mental illness or identify as mad in their respective workplaces. Further lacking are discussions of the sector-wide demands on the early childhood educator workforce under neoliberal capitalism. I told you the freaking kitchen sink comes out in this thing. Since early childhood educators, this is a quote from somebody, are significantly more likely than teachers to be involved in precarious work, which is both gendered and racialized. So they've now invoked neoliberalism, capitalism, genderism or sexism or something, and racialism. They've invoked four power structures to say that crazy people belong in early child education, and the reason they're not is because those power structures have to be defended and uh, reified. No kidding. They throw the kitchen sink at it. Importantly, they say there is also a dearth of conversations regarding the immense pressures placed on educators through highly constraining ideas of who should be an educator. Holy crap. Notice how they keep saying there's a lack of conversations. They want to gin up the conversation because the conversation, this is yet another, this is the dialectical political warfare tactic. The conversation existing itself becomes evidence that there needs to be more conversation and in fact action. If there was no need for action, nobody would be talking about it. If there were, if there's smoke, there must be fire. That's the they, they pull this trick all the damn time. They gin up a conversation. They say some crazy stuff. Now there's a dialogue about it. Oh, my God, there's a dialogue and a controversy. Somebody must be right and somebody must be wrong. Here's the right side, and here's how it goes. Uh, here's what we need to do about it, and then they get their way. It's, they gin up opportunity literally out of thin air by saying we should have conversations about things. But in this case, there is a lack of conversations about highly constraining ideas of who should be or who should be allowed to be an educator. A, quote, good early childhood educator is associated with notions of, quote, natural caring, nurturance, self-sacrifice, and passivity, ultimately embodying the tenets of white hegemonic femininity 
the kitchen sink, I'm telling you. In an Ontario context, provincial early years documents such as How Does Learning Happen focus on educators' capability and competence. Those words are in italics. Those are the problem. They say so. Criteria that practitioners and care workers who experience madness or who are openly diagnosed with mental illness are often presumed to be excluded from. As such, it is the presumptions of incompetence of educators who encounter psychiatric care, the unrealistic expectations, and emotional regulation expected of early childhood educators, and the medicalization of feelings and experiences of distress that need to be challenged. Did you hear that? What needs to be challenged? The unrealistic expectations of emotional regulation in early childhood educators. So when they say that they want unstable people, or when I say that what they want is unstable people having access to your children, that's what they're, one of the main things that they're talking about. That the, there's an, that what, an unrealistic expectation of emotional regulation placed on early childhood educators. And then they, the, the medicalization of feelings and experiences of distress. That's what they call being crazy. And the signs of insanity is that it is the, uh, <laughs> the feelings and experiences of distress uh, associated, I suppose, with being insane. And that's what they need, say, needs to be challenged. So we write this article as individuals, each with our own histories with and narratives surrounding mental illness and madness. Maybe I should have read their bios. I'm sure they're crazy. The first author openly identifying as a unity identifying as a university faculty within the field of pre-service early childhood education who experiences chronic mental illnesses. Oh, how about that? So the first author brings the expertise to the table of being crazy and uh, having probably experienced the uh, challenges that one would expect to, to, to run into when you're crazy and want to work with children in early childhood education settings. So his expertise of the lead author is in fact openly identifying as a university faculty within the field of pre-service early childhood education who experiences chronic mental illnesses. Maybe we should go back up to this dude's bio and find out, or it's a they, them, I'm not supposed to call him a dude. I mean, them, a dude. Let's go up and see what he says about himself. Dr. Davies is an assistant professor of family relations and applied nutrition at the University of uh, Guelph in Guelph, Ontario. Adams Research, he uses his first name, Adams Research interests are critical disability studies, mad studies, queer theory, and post-structural feminism in early childhood education and care. Adams SSHRC-funded research includes an investigation of men and masculinities in early childhood education and care in Ontario, Canada, issues of gay, bisexual, and queer men, masculinities, body image, and nutritional supplement uptake, and mental health and illness and professional identity in pre-service early childhood education and care. Adam holds a PhD in curriculum studies and teacher development, sexual diversity studies, and women and gender studies from the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education, University of Toronto, Toronto, Ontario. Doesn't actually say how uh, he's crazy. They is crazy. They are crazy. They are definitely crazy. Throughout this paper, they, we acknowledge the sociocultural construction of, quote, mental illness and, quote, madness created through hierarchies of race, gender, sexuality, ability, nationality that are used to pathologize diverse ways of knowing and being, citing Foucault. So, again, the kitchen sink. Every intersectional thing possible, including nationality, gets 
lumped under the idea of crazy in order to pathologize diverse ways of knowing and being, like being crazy. We do not deny the reality of lived experiences with madness, but challenge the socially constructed and contested nature of diagnostic categories and how they are used to control populations. Just like I said. Our intention with this article is to highlight how normative perceptions of educators in early childhood education and care, particularly the, quote, good educator, enforce the expectation that educators will silence their humanity to adhere to unrealistic standards and expectations pertaining to emotional regulation. That's what it says. While simultaneously pathologizing educators who experience mental illnesses and distress. Through our experiences working with young children, which means they have them, it is clear that madness amongst educators is omnipresent in early years learning environments. Okay, so what they're saying is literally all early childhood education and care professionals are crazy. They're already all crazy. So we need to destigmatize craziness among them and encourage more craziness to be brought in. Through our experiences working with young children, it is clear that madness amongst educators is omnipresent in early years learning environments. That's the claim. So this is that thing. The thing that we want to do is already happening everywhere. Therefore, we have to have license to do it. These are the themes of woke activism that I keep trying to draw attention to so that we can identify them and call bullshit on them. No, it is not true that all early childhood education and care professionals are insane. It is absolutely not true. It blurs together all the contexts of some people experience some stress or anxiety or social anxiety or, or introverted or whatever else with clinical insanity, personality disorders, lack of emotional regulation, which seems to be very important to them, which um, really should be a professional standard for um, early childhood educators and really most professionals. It says, despite societal efforts to make children docile, children are unpredictable and curious. Thus, working with children or within early childhood education and care widely, especially at the current context of the COVID-19 pandemic, kitchen sink, can be quite maddening. So, and it's not their fault they're crazy. It's that kids make them crazy. That's who they want having access to early childhood education and care, people who are driven nuts by kids. In this article, we will address the systemic discrimination, there you go, and pathologization of mad early childhood educators through structures of sanism that are perpetuated by both normative images of educators in the field and a lack of societal acknowledgement and recognition for the early childhood education and care sector. By reimagining who is a, quote, good educator, the field can begin to address the systemic pathologization of madness and educators who live openly with madness. See, we, a good educator can be crazy. We have to start acknowledging that is what they're trying to say. Consequently, the field of early childhood education can then move toward considering madness as an embedded everyday component of early childhood education and care. So who does the left want working with your kids? Crazy people. And it is a form of bigotry called sanism that prevents that from being allowed. Although it's already always happening everywhere all the time because kids drive adults crazy. That's the argument. Sanism in early childhood education and care. What is sanism? 
Sanism is a widely accepted form of systemic discrimination that targets individuals who have been diagnosed with or who are believed to have a diagnosis related to madness. Generally, Sanism is the overarching belief that those who identify as or who are labeled, quote, mad are dangerous and or incompetent. Um, because they are a lot of the times. A sanest belief system allows governing bodies, including but not limited to professional licensing committees and colleges, such as the Ontario College of Early Childhood Educators, to justify the discrimination of those who are labeled, quote, mad, based on concepts of, quote, public health, quote, public good, and safety. So it's an unjust prejudice, sanism is, that keeps crazy people out of things like early childhood education, through professional targets, they are targeting the Ontario College of Early Childhood Educators in order to change their licensing uh, policies (laughs) to allow crazy people to work in uh, close vicinity to uh, young children. How are mad educators discriminated against in early childhood education and care? They say the basis for discrimination based on madness is embedded in the annual requirement for registered early childhood educators in Ontario to disclose on their registration forms whether they have been diagnosed with a mental health condition to, quote, practice the profession safely, end quote. Registered early childhood educators who disclose a diagnosis are exposed within their profession and can experience heightened scrutiny related to their mental health from governing bodies. Now, in reality, we would want that. If you are going to apply to work with young children, the government requires you to tell them if you've been diagnosed with a mental health condition and then they monitor you or maybe even exclude you from licensure based on the nature of that mental health condition. And that's the problem. We're dealing with people who work with young children. Once again, instances of such scrutiny have been studied by Chapman et al. 2016 within caring and helping professions. Chapman et al. and Poole et al. articulate how in social work and nursing, helping professionals either hide their diagnoses and struggles out of fear they will lose their livelihoods or disclose their diagnoses and struggles and accept workplace consequences based on perceptions of how they might potentially act. These consequences can include suspensions or loss of their professional licenses. Early childhood educators are also subjected to such sanest suspicions and investigations due to their work as carers with the wider public. See, the poor, crazy people who have jobs in caring, that they could literally be abusing people they claim to care for, have to face consequences if they admit to being crazy. So we should just get rid of any form of screening whatsoever because that's sanest. Sanism, quote, competence, and, quote, incompetence. See, competence and incompetence are fake. They're narratives that are ginned up in order to justify the bigotry. That's the argument here. Helping and caring professions, they say, often mention notions of, quote, competence as a defining factor of a, quote, good carer. That is a good nurse, social worker, teacher, or early childhood educator. Research has shown that concepts of competence or the absence of competence are continually linked to mental health diagnosis. No kidding. However, as argued by Chapman et al., the concept of, quote, competence is often weaponized against individuals diagnosed with mental illness, 
within helping and caring professions, despite evidence that suggests competence and mental illness are unrelated. Really? Competence and mental illness are unrelated phenomena? Those in helping and caring professions face discrimination not based on their actions and abilities to manage or cope with their experiences of mental illness, but through the judgment of regulatory bodies based on perception of what mental illness, quote, could become. That's not quote, it's italics, I'm sorry. What what mental illness could become. So see, they're mentally ill, but they might not be acting on their mental illness, and so you shouldn't hold them to account. Or, or take the probabilistic approach that, you know, it turns out that they have a much higher likelihood of doing something crazy or dangerous when they're crazy and maybe dangerous. In this sense, mental illness signifies a, quote, not yet, or the potential, for example, for violence or, quote, emotional dysregulation that has yet to occur. In this case, for educators who experience mental distress or are diagnosed with mental illness, the quote, not yet, is reflected in both their inability to be open about their mental difference. It's a closet. See, they're reproducing the queer theory argument about the closet. Due to fears of isolation and fears that others will perceive them as potentially dangerous or incompetent in their work. Uh, Tchaikovsky, uh, 2010, describes how, quote, some people are present as potentially always absent, which can be considered in how mental illness, quote, is not yet imagined as an essential aspect of all of our lives, and certainly not a legitimate or desirable component of early childhood education and care. Once again, we're all actually crazy, so we can't really stigmatize against this. That's the that's the usual argument. Oh, there's a spectrum. We're all already somewhat the thing, so there's no discernment possible. Everybody's already mentally ill. Everybody has stressed out moments. Everybody gets anxious sometimes. Everybody has depressed days. So therefore, we're all anxious, depressed, and psychotic, and mentally ill, and social uh, sociopaths, and borderline personality disorder, and everything else, antisocial personality disorder, and anything else. There's no ability to discern. We're already all already crazy. It's all part of education and life all the time anyway. That's literally their stupid argument. The pause there was me not swearing. These judgments based on the possibilities of what a mental illness diagnosis could lead to are unacceptably discriminatory and sanest. Notably, the sanest concept of mental illness-related, quote, incompetence can become internalized by the individual who has been diagnosed with a mental illness, mental difference, or who is experiencing a period of mental distress. That means that being diagnosed with a mental illness can impede self-confidence at work due to internalized self-stigma, whereas experiencing notable mental differences or mental distress in the sense of different forms of social, emotional, cognitive, or executive functioning can mean that society can judge one's behaviors and cognitions as, quote, odd or, quote, abnormal. Now, remember that I told you that the real objective with all these medicalizing things is that people get to self-diagnose and self-treat? So what actually happens, their iron law of woke projection never misses, they're saying, well, if we diagnose people with, um, with, with mental illness, they'll start living up to it. What actually happens is that people go online, self-diagnose with mental illness, and start living up to it. That's what actually happens. They've got it all backwards, but of course they do, because that's exactly how they live, and they want their grift. Of course, they say both self-stigma and societal stigma overlap. Armstrong and Brandon distinguish these concepts as self-stigma, internal judgments, and public stigma, external judgments. 
Armstrong and Brandon suggest that self-stigma occurs when individuals are aware of and agree with stereotypes about themselves and adopt a self-critical attitude. This internalization or self-stigmatization might be reflected in how an individual perceives their professional identity as a, quote, good early childhood educator. There is no mention of madness in current early childhood education and care literature, as far as the authors are aware, or how ideas of madness or mental illness intersects with how a, quote, good early childhood educator is characterized, both from pre-service perspectives and active professionals with the exception of the lead author's other work. So the interesting thing here is what they're saying is nobody's even talking about something that everybody could take for granted until five minutes ago when they decided that insane people need to have access to children in early childhood education and care uh, scenarios and environments. Sanism, so the kitchen sink of woke tactics. There's another one. We're not even having the conversation. Nobody's even talking about this. It's so overlooked. It turns out that some things are actually pretty well self-evident, like having crazy people near children is a really, really bad idea, but not for the woke. That is certainly not self-evident for the woke. And so they use the fact that nobody's talking about it as proof of a, a conspiracy against them. Sanism, professionalism, and the quote, good early childhood educator. Kali et al. 2003 described the quote, or the sorry, italics, vocational habitus of that draws off of the uh, the concept from what's his name? Um, I know this guy, the French sociologist, uh, Bourdieu, Pierre Bourdieu, uh, who talks about habitus, how you are situated in society according to who you identify yourself to be. Uh, so describe the vocational habitus of different profession, professions whereby individuals are indoctrinated into certain values, attitudes, and beliefs, as well as normative ideas about how one should self-present and behave within their respective workplaces. So in other words, what they're saying is that people have expectations on them related to their workplace and to their jobs, and that they are indoctrinated to behave the way that their job expects uh, certain values, attitudes, and beliefs, as well as normative ideas about how one should self-present and behave. So professionalism, which is what this section is about, is something you're indoctrinated into and that really you shouldn't have to abide by that because it's actually oppressive and in fact brainwashing. You're indoctrinated into what it means to be a good teacher. You're indoctrinated into what it means to be a responsible carer for children. And you're going to dress certain ways, you're going to act certain ways, you're going to bring up certain topics and avoid others. For example, maybe you're not going to bring a drag queen to school because that would be a terrible idea. And that's really you just being indoctrinated into what it means to be a good early childhood educator. Moreover, they say these pressures are amplified by the increasing professionalization of early childhood education and care. Yeah, and the problem is that it's getting too professional whereby early childhood educators themselves focus on learning and assessment in their work as a way to potentially gain societal respect and translate caring relations into outcomes. These pressures can be related back to pre-service training programs in the field of early childhood education and care that emphasize developmental knowledges, ideas of assessment, and quantification over equipping students with knowledge that can assist them with disrupting the status quo and structures of oppression within their everyday work environments, such as MAD studies and other critical theories. That is unbelievable that that's right there in black and white, right? So they indoctrinate you into being a good teacher, 
And then what happens? Well, you learn to emphasize certain facts about developmental knowledges, developmental psychology, really, what's appropriate for kids, ideas of assessment and quantification. And when you could be in does it talk about like the human aspect, something fuzzy, something subjective, like, oh, the mothering, the whatever, the caring aspects of early childhood education and care, the softer, more artistic, less quantifiable, which is what you might think is going to be put up as a dichotomy here. No, they do. They teach people how to be teachers instead of equipping students with knowledge that can assist them with disrupting the status quo, in other words, becoming radical activists, and structures of oppression within their everyday work environments. And the examples that they give of things that they could be doing instead of actually teaching are mad studies and other critical theories. So their goal is to use yet another environment and yet another excuse to bring more radicalization and activism to early childhood education and care, because of course it is. In Osgood's writing, quote, professional identity is described as an external label of, quote, good characteristics that are expected to be internalized to suit the environment in which an individual works. As previously noted for early childhood educators, this professional identity traditionally includes the characteristics of nurturance, care, self-sacrifice, and passivity. However, as early childhood education and care facilities are professionalized, early childhood educators are also expected to take on highly masculinized characteristics such as, quote, rationality, which indicate the capacity to make, quote, rational decisions in the workplace. Why are they in quotes? Because they don't think it exists. They think that rationality and rational are fictions that certain people tell themselves so they can exclude people who are irrational and making irrational decisions. But that's a masculinized characteristic. Rationality is a masculine characteristic. Hear that, ladies? These people are the feminists. These are the, that's what's literally in the guys, the they, them's bio. They're feminists. The feminists recognize that rationality is masculine. Oh. As Osgood states, the inclusion of rationality in an early childhood educator's professional identity is for the purpose of measuring, quote, competence of an early childhood educator. Uh, so, see, the purpose that we care about rationality in an educator for young children is so we can measure their competence, which is in scare quotes, which means they think that that's also false. False rationality, false competence all cooked books to keep the, the people they want in power and to exclude people like borderline personality disorders and antisocial personality disorders, keep them out of classrooms. These discourses further lead to the devaluation of care work and femininity within early childhood education and care since, quote, rationality and professionalization are based in positivist and neoliberal ideas of assessment and standardization, which call for the regulation of emotions in the workplace. Again, the feminists here have indicated that what will happen is if we require things like professionalism and rationality, it will exclude women from the workplace because women can't regulate their emotions. That's actually what these people said. And that's a problem, of course. Jesus. Accreditation by regulatory bodies and assessments by these regulatory bodies require early childhood educators to take accountability for and justify their professional choices based on developmentalist ideologies, like developmental psychology. 
the idea that children develop and have developmental stages and developmentally appropriate and inappropriate things to do and challenges to meet, that is developmentalist ideology. No, no, no. Kids are ready for whatever the teacher wants to throw at them. And in fact, what will happen is that crazy people will get in front of the kids and that'll be a great learning experience for them. These notions, they say, of being professional, that's in scare quotes, they don't believe in that, are therefore directly linked to a sanest conception of competence, that's also in scare quotes, in the early childhood education workplace and developmental psychology. Since regulatory bodies maintain control over who is considered, quote, competent in early childhood education and care, early childhood educators are expected to internalize and identify with the, quote, good and therefore, quote, competent early childhood educator ideal. This predetermined and fixed identity excludes madness and may lead to the self-stigmatization of one's own mad identity or experiences with madness and mental difference that conflict with notions of what a, quote, good early childhood educator is. It's almost impossible to believe they wrote this and that somebody peer-reviewed this and then that they published this and that this is actually being published by an entity that uh, is allegedly serious in Ontario, which is in Canada, which has no filters for any of these terrible ideas. I don't know if you understood all the words that they just said, but what they're saying is that it's not fair that we expect uh, early childhood educators to be good at their jobs and competent. We don't want that. And because it forces them to try to be those things. And when they try to be those things, it excludes people who are literally mentally ill. Much of this discrimination of mad educators and the standardization and professionalization processes that regulate early childhood educators can be attributed to neoliberalism as both an economic and social structure. Neoliberalism, an economic and social focus on the individual, notions of personal responsibility and privatization, is embedded within the ideas of, quote, good educators being those who take responsibility for their health and well-being, by internalizing their emotions, feelings, and mental distress. Remember, they want the opposite of that in front of your children. Involved is the demand for emotional labor. See, it's not fair to make them work to control their emotions and their, their, their psychological outbursts in front of children. Involved in this is the demand for emotional labor from educators as they regulate their feelings, emotions, and mental distress to perform the work of care, nurturance, and ultimately happiness. See, it's not fair that they have to regulate themselves when they have feelings, emotions, and mental distress so that they can do their fucking jobs. That's the argument here, but again, it's for children. How is sanism embedded in normative ideas of educators in early childhood education and care? Since happiness and madness are societally considered antithetical to one another, the educators are still steeped and trained in values connected to white hegemonic femininity and caring as natural processes. Madness is perceived as disruptive to normative early childhood education identi identification. As well, the neoliberal demand for evaluating educators' performance against set criteria through assessments in the early years reinforces masculinist and standardized values. These conformist values place early childhood educators in a double bind whereby professional care for children is predominantly valued by meeting external assessment and curricular expectations to ensure developmental milestones, while caring for children naturally, being responsive to their needs, and cultivating their lively curiosity without formal program uh, program planning is conceptualized as, quote, unprofessional. 
normative societal depictions of early childhood educators are associated with ideas of mothering and nurturance that commonly lead early childhood educators to portray themselves as, quote, caring and, quote, compassionate and, quote, nurturing. For example, Langford's 2007 study of pre-service early childhood education students explored how ideas of the, quote, good early childhood educator were constructed through notions of inner passion, alertness to children's needs, and the disavowal of one's own needs or ideas of neediness. Uh-oh, putting the kids' needs ahead of your own going to be the problem here, isn't it? Early childhood educators are societally encouraged to deny their own needs or to not care for themselves in order to present themselves as attentive and caring for children in their care. That's the thing they have an issue with. So we need to let crazy people into the classrooms and into daycares, and then we have to let to accommodate them, we have to make sure that they are given all the space they need to put their own needs ahead of the kids' needs. And it's a form of bigotry and prejudice and discrimination to say no to that. That's the argument here. And so that's obviously insane. So they're going to have to dig into the kitchen sink and pull out something big. So what do they say next? This issue is particularly salient in the context of COVID-19, whereby early childhood educators are relied upon to maintain the functioning of the economy by providing child care, yet their own well-being and health is given little regard. See, it was unfair to ask teachers to continue teaching during COVID-19 when they were mentally ill and thinking they were going to die of a disease that wasn't going to kill them. And, oh my God, their needs come before anything else and the children and the whole thing, the whole thing. A society prioritizing pathetic adults, mentally ill adults, as a matter of fact, over the needs of children is a society that's going to die. And that's Canada. In the Ontario context, they say, the provincial response to the early years sector, including during COVID-19, provides an example of the vastly undersupported working conditions that many early years professionals are forced to work within. There was little government provision of N95 masks, poor ventilation systems in workplaces, and no provincial federal child care agreement until March of 2022. Mercy, those poor, poor, psychotic people who thought they were going to die of the flu. The assumption that early childhood educators receive intrinsic affirmation from their work or that all educators are naturally caring does not excuse inadequate acknowledgement of or compensation uh, for their work. It is important to provide early childhood educators with better working conditions to maintain the overall well-being of those who work in child care centers on a day-to-day basis while also carving out space for educators to embody and express themselves outside of hegemonic ideas of positive affect, that means being in a good emotional state, and constant emotional nurturance. And see, sometimes it's about the teacher, it's not about the kids at all. As well, this is early childhood education and care, by the way. We're not talking about teenagers, we're talking about little kids. As well, while it is necessary to address the inequities created during COVID-19, it is crucial to note that these under-supported working conditions and the low societal respect for early childhood educators and carers, or early childhood education and care, existed before the global pandemic and need to be addressed within both, uh, both within, sorry, and outside of the context of COVID-19. So 
what they're saying is they brought up COVID-19 really for no real reason except to throw some big scary leftist words around. We believe this work starts with addressing the sanism that is widespread within the early childhood education and care and society widely. Sanism, which obviously they have COVID derangement syndrome, sanism is embedded within discourses associated with early childhood educators that are gender essentialist, kitchen sink again, and assume women hold forms of innate caring kindness and, quote, motherly care. See, not all women actually give a shit about kids, let them in the classroom. These ideas propagate notions that educators should always be able to regulate any feelings of emotional distress that they might experience, internalize their feelings by hiding them within themselves, and maintain children's care as their only priority through the disregard of their own needs. Hold on. It's literally called early childhood education and care, and sometimes, you know, the teacher's just having a moment, and the kids don't, they just have to get, they're just going to have to wait. Teacher's having a moment. That's how insane these people are. That's what they think needs to be. It's discrimination to expect people to be able to do that in the context of caring for little kids, other people's little kids in particular. For mad early childhood educators who already experience mental distress, the emotional labor involved in regulating their own feelings without any structural supports for their well-being can result in additional barriers to presenting as, quote, competent in their day-to-day work. So somebody has a little depressive moment and they decide they just need some space, so they abandon the classroom and leave the kids alone, and if you don't accommodate that, you're a bigot, you're a sanist, or worse... Furthermore, this lack of support can potentially create work environments whereby mad early childhood educators experiencing mental distress might feel uncomfortable expressing their wellness needs. See, it's all about the insane adults, even when dealing with the profession of early childhood education and care. Sanism operates by both encouraging early childhood educators to continually present as happy, self-regulated, and confident, while simultaneously forwarding ideas that mad educators cannot present as happy, confident, or uh, or regulate their emotional states if desired. Importantly, the demand for authentic emotional engagement and authenticity in interactions with children embedded within uh, Ontario Ministry of Education pedagogical documents, such as How Does Learning Happen, communicates the expectation that educators are to empathize authenticity in their interaction. Sorry, not empathize. I'm reading woke stuff communicates the expectation that educators are to emphasize authenticity in their interactions with children while simultaneously regulating their own feelings and sensations, particularly if they are deemed negative. So that's not fair. They have to interact authentically even when they're having a mental breakdown because they probably shouldn't have ever been hired in the first place because they're emotionally unstable. But we're not allowed to say that anymore because of stuff like this. In this sense, emotional labor and early childhood educator identity are intricately linked. This is what they tell us. This means that early childhood educators must enact emotional self-management to abide by the described, outdated, romanticized notions of both educators and children that forward innocence, purity, and joy as the ideal states. So somehow innocence, purity, and joy as states of children, that is outdated now. That is old news. We aren't doing that anymore. That is unrealistic and outdated. Um... That's what these people think, and they want to have more control over your kids. And just God, just let it sink in what these people are after. What they're after is what they title the next section, 
rethinking the good educator in early childhood education. So we're going to rethink what it means to be a good educator so that we don't have this particular conflict. And they start by saying, considering the mad educator. Just, it's, there it is. I mean, it's in freaking black and white. I don't know what you want me to do with it. Considering the mad educator. It is crucial, they tell us to acknowledge how powerful norms that encourage emotional regulation can lead to forms of sanism uh, that can lead to forms that forms of sanism that are internalized by the educators themselves or that can result in self-stigmatization considering that the societal pathology it's a hard word to say the societal pathologization of madness is widespread employees with experiences of psychiatric care or diagnoses might experience internal conflict regarding their ability to be a professional, even if they do not share their own experiences of mental distress, which is just unbelievable. And I have to scroll up, pardon me. Even if they do not share their own experiences of mental distress or madness with others at their workplace, language is, a power, is powerful in shaping everyday ideas about identity, according to Judith Butler and Michelle Foucault, and as noted... Ontario Early Childhood Education and Care Curricula focuses on ideas of capability and competence, both in scare quotes, which are discursively linked to narratives of compulsory sound-mindedness. Can you believe this? It's hard to believe. Chapman defines compulsory sound-mindedness as a, quote, force that morally denigrates, pathologizes, and discourages diverse experiences that fall outside of contentment alongside those that fall outside of reason and the parameters of liberal individualism. So remember when all these people like try to say that this is an extension of liberal individualism? No, they're pretty against that. That's an aside, though. Compulsory sound-mindedness is a form of sanest oppression. Compulsory sound-mindedness to work with little kids as a form of sanest oppression enacts a specific kind of violence within the early childhood education field, especially considering that early childhood education is predominantly composed of cisgender women, a demographic who have historically and continued to be pathologized through patriarchal violence within and outside of the field of psychiatry. This is just a mental illness in print is what this is. Prominent historical figures in the foundation of early childhood education and care, such as Froebel, Froebel, I don't know, theorized early childhood educators and child care teachers as holding a motherly consciousness that needed to be trained in order to ensure good motherhood that would both emphasize, quote, motherly qualities in early childhood educators and ensure the, quote, healthy development of children in early childhood educators' care. Moreover, the emphasis on, quote, good mothering in association with ideas of white femininity, were translated through pre-service teaching, uh, pre-service training programs to future child care workers in the early 20th century, as infant and child health concerns became associated with eugenics practices. They're just literally digging into the kitchen sink here and throwing everything they can at this ridiculous idea. But it's you know linked to eugenics. To I have the idea that you have sound-minded educators in classrooms because of this bullshit argument they've cooked up. As described by Aylwood in 2007, quote, motherhood therefore becomes a regulatory mechanism in early childhood education and care, whereby educators who are not cisgender women, who do not perform the, quote, appropriate amount of care or are deemed not conforming to dominant norms for early childhood educators are othered and deemed potentially unsuitable for the field. 
in early childhood education and care, compulsory sound-mindedness places gendered expectations on the early childhood educators to continually be strong and capable mother figures. Strong and capable are in scare quotes. Mother figures who provide the appropriate care and nurturance for children through assuming responsibility for their development. That's literally their freaking jobs. The Association of Early Childhood Educators of Ontario, remember, approved this. Incorporating madness into early childhood education and care. Individuals who have experiences with psychiatric care and mental illness diagnoses deserve spaces. They deserve spaces where they can share their experiences, if desired. It's not desired, guys. And challenge the status quo in terms of dominant knowledge formations within the field of early childhood education that continue to forward the oppression and subjugation of mad people. Not angry. Crazy. They deserve spaces to do this. They deserve them. Madness and experiences of emotional distress are presented as incompatible with being a good educator, good mother, those are both in quotes, or helping professional. We suggest that this binary be dismantled and ask what madness could offer the field of early childhood education and care and how it could be beneficial for the profession to see madness as an everyday component of working with children. <laughs> it really says that. Mad studies critiques developmentalist and psychological logics that focus on therapeutic treatment and pharmaceutical interventions, particularly for children, by illustrating how developmental and interventionist knowledges aim to normalize and regulate children instead of promoting mental diversity. As described by Mills and LaFrancois, developmentalism in its various logics, whether within child psych, uh, within child psychology, international devel- yeah, international development or political studies, is about paternalism and the enforcement of control and regulation upon bodies. Mad people continue to experience paternalistic control of their bodies and personhood. One does not need to look further than the recent custody battle involving the famous pop singer Britney Spears. How's that going now? To understand how mental illness is weaponized against people to justify the loss of their autonomy. That free Britney thing turned out probably not to have been a great idea. Whether one identifies as mad or not is not the focus People can identify with their own experiences of madness in various ways. So Crazy Brittany should basically be a role model for early childhood educators, according to Canadians. Or crazy ones, anyway. Mad studies provide a framework for students and practitioners to critique the common logics of the pharmaceutical industries and how, so they try to get on everybody's good side there, and how developmental ideas are used to promote the regulation of people deemed mad. For example, quote, early intervention is an embedded conversation within early childhood education and care. And while it is important that children with physical, cognitive, emotional, and or behavioral differences, they don't want to say the word problems, be in supportive environments to encourage their inclusion, all in terms of the wrong value. The psychiatrization of young children through intervention is accompanied uh, with pharmaceutical interventions based on unfounded ideas of biochemical differences. Well, they're not actually wrong there. It's just their side that's actually doing that. And so here they're complaining about the thing their side is doing so that they can leverage something different, which is to get crazy people in classrooms. Langford notes how pre-service early childhood education students often associate the image of the good early childhood educator 
with one who has extensive knowledge of children's development and whose responsiveness and attentiveness impacts the neurological development of children's brains. Langford articulates this focus on developmentalism by writing that, quote, a teacher's responsibility to make a difference has historically broadened and thus intensified from the emotional and social development of the individual child to include the inner development of the brain, the wiring of the neurons, and sculpting of excess connection, end quote. Thus, sanism, they say, is enacted in early childhood education and care through the forms of knowledges that dominate the field. See, we need insane knowledges to be brought in. The predominance of developmentalism in early childhood education and care practice, curricula, and training is intricately connected to the reinforcement of normative and hegemonic ways of knowing and being, and the limiting of practitioners' possibilities for imagining children in professional practice differently. I do not want these people to imagine children differently. I do not want crazy people to imagine children differently and be given the authority to do anything with that. In their professional practice, I would prefer professionalism, which they already complained about. So they go on, we explicitly critique the focus on developmentalism and pre-service early childhood education and care and consider developmentalism as intricately connected to the exclusion of madness and mad early childhood educators and the continual linkage between ideas of children's future and cognitions and the emotional labor and regulation involved in being an early childhood educator. Once again... They want excuses to let crazy people work with kids in early childhood education and care. For example, Delgado et al., not the Delgado from CRT, describe how the connection between developmentalism and being a, quote, good early childhood educator reduce early childhood education and care pedagogy to developmental outcomes and standards that constrain both educator and children's subjectivities. Of course, it's about constraining subjectivities because their idea is they're always going to liberate subjectivity so that people can be whatever they want. Boys can be girls, girls can be boys, everybody can have whatever sexuality, and you can be as crazy as you want, and it only makes you more special. Uh, Yeah, we've got it. The continued predominance of developmental psychology in early childhood education and care as the standard Knowledge Foundation has been critiqued numerous times over the last half century, including Valerie Walker Dane's work in the 1980s and 1990s critiquing child-centered approaches and by many early childhood education and care scholars who identify as reconceptualists, for example, Delgado, the same one but not the CRT guy. Yet developmental knowledges still remain the dominant form of, quote, applied knowledge in the field in pre-service training. So this is the same thing we saw in the queer theory. They really hate developmental psychology. They really don't like being told that what they're doing is developmentally inappropriate. They're subjecting children to behaviors and subject matter and content that is outside of the developmental range that they are prepared for is inappropriate. They really don't like being told that. So then they ask, how can turning to the mad educator, similar to Johnson's figure of the, quote, not good educator, provide a reconceptualization of the normative range of the educator in early childhood education and care? Historically, they say, and currently, madness has been socio-culturally constructed through ideas of sickness and badness, whereby madness is seen as either an intentional individual failure to perform socially sanctioned behaviors, or a sickness and medical condition that requires medical intervention, again citing Foucault. Whomever the, quote, good early childhood educator is, they are not able to openly identify as mad. 
This image of the bad, mad early childhood educator is considered antithetical to the highly romanticized version of the motherly and caring white cisgender female educator that has been forwarded by ideas of early years settings being a, quote, replacement home. There's so much going on here, but let's just focus on what the dichotomy is. They're saying society has a constructed image of a good, probably white woman, cisgender, white cisgender female educator. That's your ideal teacher, and it completely, that's a romanticized notion in her caring, motherly way, uh, ignores the so-called bad, mad early childhood educator or excludes the crazy, bad person. Thus, they say the, quote, bad, mad early childhood educator is the educator who is unable to regulate their feelings of emotional distress or reproduce such positive feelings or who is potentially seen as, quote, manic or dangerous even. Notions that have been associated with women who experience mental distress or are seen as potentially mad. Lord almighty, there's just so much there. I don't even really have to comment, do I? Um... They just complained that what they want is less emotional regulation requirement because that's unfair emotional labor. And now they're saying, but there's a stigma that says that these people can't regulate their emotions and something about it being mostly about women. Ironically, they say performing the, quote, good early childhood educator role can encourage early childhood educators to engage in the same harmful self-sacrifice, including ignoring their own health needs. Since self-sacrifice through care, that is, being selfless and denying one's own need for the care of others, is often associated with being naturally feminine and possessing womanly traits through gender essentialist tropes, like that women are too crazy to have, sorry, not rational, not professional, what was it? Ah, where were we? Since self-sacrifice through care, being selfless and denying one's own needs for the care of others is often associated with being, quote, naturally feminine and possessing, quote, womanly traits through gender essentialist tropes, both students in pre-service early childhood education programs and care programs, I should say, as well as educators in the field might see this as a necessity for their job. There might easily be societal stigma that perhaps educators who experience mental distress are unable to care for children or prioritize their needs due to struggles with mental illness. They just said that they should be able to prioritize their own needs instead of caring for children. But anyway, therefore, the quote, bad, mad early childhood educator is a moral and personal failure within neoliberal ideas of early childhood education subjectivity, or educator subjectivity, sorry, one who is both morally unable to live up to the image of the, quote, good early childhood educator and is also a personal failure at their job. Actually, no, you rejected the medical model, which is that this person's just, for whatever set of reasons, perhaps very unfortunately incapable of doing the job adequately. But when you reject the medicalized interpretation, the medical interpretation, you have to tune it just like Ibram Kendi's like, oh, either you think that there's something wrong with the test or you think there's something wrong with black people when it has nothing to do with something being wrong with black people when it could have everything to do with various conditions and cultural things. It's the same bullshit. 
But this kind of sanest stigmatization further perpetuates the erasure of discussions of mental health and illness and the notion that being a good early childhood educator is inherently incompatible with experiencing any mental distress. Yeah, seriously, though, do not. If you do experience mental distress in front of children, you should probably bottle that up. You should probably deal with that some other way instead of in front of kids. Sanism, they say, is a form of othering that marks people through not only social stig- societal stigmatization, surveillance, and ideas that individuals with mental illness are dangerous, which, frankly, sometimes they are. It is a prejudice that promotes exclusion, shame, and the separation of individuals with mental illness. Sanism targets populations that are already societally constructed as dangerous, such as black and indigenous communities. You just said it was about white women and results in the overdiagnosis of such societally subjugated populations with higher rates of mental illness. Actually, the people were worried about being crazy in the classroom turned out not to be black and indigenous community people at all. It turns out to be mostly white, liberal women, and mostly liberal and or gay liberal men that are overwhelmingly white and fucking woke and crazy. But you got to pull out the kitchen sink. As such, the quote, bad, mad early childhood educator is not a racially neutral construct and more likely intersects with anti-black racism and colonial forms of violence against racialized populations. No, it doesn't. They're just throwing the kitchen sink because this idea is so crazy that that's what they have to do in order to have any hope of having any traction for it. Moreover, it is necessary to note that individuals are more likely able to identify with their experiences of mental distress openly if they are white due to white privilege and colonial racial hierarchies. This I don't think that's true. This is implications and considerations due to the highly gendered and racialized nature of care work. Of course, all this crap has citing citations, but they're likely as much bullshit as any of this other stuff. We cited some of our fake papers and later fake papers too. Rethinking current norms. What would it mean to consider the, quote, bad, mad educator or the not good educator as beginning places for rethinking the current norms that regulate and police early childhood education educators and uh, reinforce unrealistic expectations on an already underappreciated and undersupported workforce? Poor us, victim, victim, victim. They're literally arguing to bring the not good educator into the workforce in early childhood education and care and crazy people. We propose that addressing sanism within professionalized expectations of early childhood educators also necessitates reconceptualizing the figure of the early childhood educator. See, we've got to think of teachers for young children completely differently. Think of all the images that we have of early childhood educators are all wrong. We've got to reconceptualize it to include crazy people. See, they say the reconceptualization might consider madness as an everyday component of daily life and involve moving away from the taken-for-granted through a, a, quote, audacious step into the unknown. Such a step is away from what Johnson terms, quote, the educator as technician, who is, quote, reduced to checklists, predetermined developmental outcomes, and curriculum that is not necessarily responsive to specific local contexts. There's validity in that concern with this whole, like, evaluation, standardized testing, and so on. But the thing is, is they want to replace it with culturally relevant teaching, which we know is Frarian brainwashing. 
This step into the unknown, they say, and moving away from reducing educators to neoliberal ideas of assessment, checklist, development, and outcomes might seem, quote, mad to some. See, I've called it crazy, so obviously I think it's crazy, but it's obviously got some some merit to it, so I must agree that bringing crazy in is a good idea. Nope. (sighs) These people are tedious. Every trick in the book is here. However, perhaps the, quote, bad, mad educator can offer some new directions in early childhood education and care through a mad studies perspective, which can always keep us questioning the taken for granted and everyday assumptions we might hold about who belongs or who should be an educator. So yet another big technique has been brought to bear. I've mentioned it a few times. I'll name it. It's the dialectical inversion. The thing that we want to do is always happening anyway. So we need to be given power to direct how it's happening because it's happening regardless. And we're thinking about it. So we're better than you. The dialectical inversion technique, everything in the kitchen sink is, is, is here. Conclusion. We propose that MAD Studies provides important contributions to early childhood education and care as, quote, a project of inquiry, inquiry, knowledge production, and political action devoted to the critique and transcendence of the psi-centered ways of thinking, behaving, relating, and being. Psi-centered would, of course, mean putting psychological health first. The systematic inclusion and pathologization, uh, I said it almost right, the system, systemic exclusion and pathologization of early childhood educators with mental illness through structures of sanism is evident and reinforced through popular notions of what it means to be a, quote, good educator. Such harmful values that percolate within the field encourage early childhood educators with mental distress to silence their lived experiences while further forwarding forms of self-stigma and stigmatization within workplace environments. See, they've got to keep their crazy to themselves, and it turns out that that's unfair. That's the whole argument. Within an already undervalued, see, oh, they're already, it's like it's already a hard job to be an early childhood educator. It's already one of the hardest jobs in the whole world, and it's undervalued and overworked and underpaid. With an already undervalued, overworked, and underpaid sector, this is unacceptable. It is important that adequate social recognition for early childhood educators is provided alongside a deconstruction of exclusionary sanest norms for professionalism that reify outdated ideals for care and nurturance in the field. We propose in redefining what constitutes a good educator and by explicitly centralizing madness in early childhood education and care, we can actively work to both destigmatize madness and challenge the notion of which educator, quote, differences are considered acceptable. Considering the mad educator in early childhood education and care might reconceptualize identificatory norms for early childhood educators. Johnson describes how, quote, the not good educator is one who resists the dominant discourses of developmentalism and neoliberalism that shape their identity as a technician, end quote. The mad educator resists the normalizing gaze of developmentalism and neoliberal ideas of accountability and assessment to step into the unknown. The mad educator dismantles and disrupts the hegemonic norms that regulate and police early childhood educators through ideas of professionalism and standardization by, quote, redefining what, quote, good means and who a, quote, good educator is, end quote. Despite the early childhood education and care field considering the mad educator a, quote, not yet, or even potentially a, quote, not ever, Madness is a necessary starting point for thinking of new ways of imagining early childhood education and care and the, quote, madness of working within early childhood education and care in current 
Neoliberal Times. That's the paper. That is... I can't believe we didn't think of this. The I, This is so, Peter, frankly, the idea that we would write an education paper that says we should explicitly include a hoax paper that says that we should explicitly include crazy people in early childhood education, although we would have given some very colorful examples of hilarious examples of what insanity in the classroom might look like and why it's, why it's argue, why it's desirable. This is a paper that we literally could have written, should have written honestly as a hoax paper. And yet here it is, um, in the peer reviewed collection, uh, in what was it again, the association of early childhood educators of Ontario, AECEO, uh, in the spring, summer, 2022 edition. I would love to say I hold out that this paper is an academic hoax, but I have absolutely no belief whatsoever that it is an academic hoax. I wish it was an academic hoax, not just one in general, uh, because I wish it wasn't real, but one that I had written myself because it's genuinely hilarious that, that this idea passed peer review. In fact, I find it difficult to think of something uh, funnier, including the dog sex or the rewriting of Mein Kampf or abusing students but doing it with compassion to get them out of their privilege or some of the more PG-13 topics we wrote about in our, our um, Grievance Studies Affair papers. So, sanism in early childhood education and care, cultivating space for madness and mad educators in early childhood education and care. The left has no limiting principles whatsoever. Woke Marxism has no limiting principles whatsoever. This is rooted in the same basic premises that led to queer theory, although it's not explicitly about sexuality. It is about madness as a mental illness. It's it's framed out, therefore, in parallel to what we see in disability studies, which I discussed earlier in the podcast. And this lack of limiting principles at some point has to raise the alarm that, that this is very dangerous. This has to raise the alarm that they are arguing that it is mere prejudice, arbitrary and, and not, not even arbitrary, but malicious prejudice that is keeping insane people, people who cannot emotionally regulate out of early childhood education and care environments, that we expect professionalism and basic standards and skills in caring and nurturing and working with children and emotional regulation in particular, just to bring up that specific, uh, in people who are going to have a profession of working with young children in their development. The idea that they want to overcome innocence, the idea that they want to overthrow the concept of developmentalism, as they call it, but early childhood development, which echoes exactly what we see in queer education, which means what they want is to remove all barriers from leftist insanity, woke Marxist insanity, being in the classroom. It doesn't matter if it's harmful to the kids. We're just going to redefine what means what harmful means. Harmful means them not getting to do whatever they want. We have to forward madness in addition to all the sexual stuff and in addition to everything else in the classroom. Not just bringing crazy educators in, but also bringing craziness into the educational program and care program itself. And if you think that's developmentally inappropriate for kids to be subjected, young children, this is early childhood education, well, it's the developmental model itself that has to be challenged. And it's just for reproducing sanest narratives and sanism, which is a bigotry that we have yet to challenge. There is no limiting principle to this. These initiatives, these people pushing these initiatives have to be stopped. They have to be stopped completely. This is 
There has to be a line drawn at some point where we say, no, no more. The sexualization of children, the deliberate exposure of children to insanity uh, and insane people who God knows what they're going to be able to do or not do, they lose it. On the Peter said, talk to pencils. I'm much more concerned about people who can't regulate their emotions and either flip out and just abandon a classroom full of kids or start screaming at them or start flipping out and having like a, a panic attack in front of the kids for no reason or start having some kind of a breakdown. No, I'm sorry that we have to be able to draw a line at some point and say, if you're going to be entrusted with the responsibility of acting in loco parentis to other people's children, y- there's a lot we expect of you. It's not a zero expectation environment. People who just want to be there have every right to. And by the way, let's pay them more and take away all standards and expectations. We've got to draw the line somewhere. I guess if I'm honest, that's the main reason I shared this podcast, or this this paper with you in this podcast. I'm not 100% sure why I'm just so taken aback by this paper. It's one of those moments it's like, I saw it, so you have to see it too. But I think that's really what it is, is we've really got to start being serious about saying, no, we're going to draw, the the line is getting drawn. It's not even, we're going to draw the line right here and stop. It's, we've got to go back. We've got to get rid of a lot of bad, bad ideas, and we've got to get very serious about it. And this is a banner for why this paper that this was accepted by a, you know, education association in Ontario, early childhood. Again, it's just, it's just a banner reason for why we have got to say no more. I think I've ended other podcasts with exactly the same plea that we have to hold these ideas up that they're publishing as the reason that we say no, no more. It's time to start going back. It's time to start getting the feet, or the, the, the ground under our feet again. And no more of this leftist nonsense. No more of this insanity. Literally, in this case, insanity. It's time for us to uh, let the adults take over again and get these... Um, What did they say that they deserve these entitled uh, lunatics out of professional spaces? We have every reason to. We have to just keep sharing these examples. 